here in Central, uh, to all of our municipal offices here in Central. Uh, Brother Merrill told me last night that even the mayor, Mayor Shelton's ordered uh, a couple of lunches. We'll bring those to them. Uh, but the fire department, police department, sheriff's department, we're feeding them this coming Thursday at lunch a jambalaya dinner like they've never had. I can promise you that. And a uh, uh, hundred and... 116 lunches we'll, we'll give away this coming Thursday for community outreach to... <clears throat> it's just our way of saying thank you for being in our community, for police department, for protecting the fire department, and so on. So uh, that'll be going on Thursday. If you can help, uh, we need people to help put all of this together. And if you can help in any way Thursday, please let Brother Merrill, Sister Christy know, and they would appreciate it so very much. Also... Uh, remember October the 12th on Sunday morning, uh, brother, or excuse me, October the 19th, brother uh, Tenney will be here. Bishop Tenney will be here speaking. You'll not want to miss that. That's on October the 19th. October the 12th is vision casting for all of our department heads for 2015. We're asking all of our department heads to come prepared that evening uh, at 6 p.m. casting vision for your department for next year. And if you've not gone online and filled out the vision casting document, if you would do that as soon as possible, we would appreciate it so very much. Uh, also remember Saturday, October the 25th is Ranch Day at the Lighthouse Ranch for Boys. Any of you folks that can go and participate in that would be an awesome thing. And then on Sunday the 26th, uh, Brother and Sister Gidrose will be here with us in service. We're looking forward to that. On Sunday evening of the 26th, we're having our first annual car show here at the church, and I'm pumped about that, man. Yes, sir. Uh, Brother Phil is heading this up. He sent me a picture yesterday of all the trophies, three trophies that's going to be given out, first, second, third place in our car show. They're coming from all over uh, to participate in that. And um, if, you're, if you like your car, uh, I know there's somebody here that has an awesome Corvette Stingray. That I'll uh, have that thing detailed out, dialed up, and bring it. You might win a trophy. Who knows? And uh, I might enter my, my car. Wouldn't win nothing, but hey, uh, who knows? But uh, it's going to be a great time. And uh, that's Sunday, October the 26th from 2 p.m. to 5 p.m. Uh, also, Saturday, November the 1st is our annual Fall Fest. It will be on a Saturday starting at 4 p.m. And uh, it's going to be a ball for everybody that comes. We're, we're, we're having all kinds of things. We're having the bouncy things that the kids enjoy, be some youth activities. I think we're going to have a cotton candy machine this year. Sister Murphy didn't have anything to do with that, but uh, we'll have cotton candy this year. It's going to be a great time, uh, food and all of that you'll not want to miss. Remember our Miracle Crusade, uh, November 8th and 9th, Saturday and Sunday, with Brother Jerry Holland. Remember that. Spread word around. And uh, all of these announcements are, of course, on our website. You're Feel free to go, and, and if you didn't understand or didn't hear all of it, um, go to our website and you can get all the information. Also, I'm very happy to announce this morning, um, I'll tell you what, go ahead and be seated. After all that, just go ahead and be seated. <clears throat> but uh, we, we have some cards made on, on one side. Uh, it looks just like our church business cards. I know you can't see that from where you sit, but it looks just like our business cards have, don't have anyone's personal name on it has all the church information just like our business cards. But on the back of it, it said something extra to show that Jesus loves you. We want to pass these cards out today. We're not going to pass them out, but you can pick them up at Grand Central. Uh, This is a part of Go Big. What we're asking you to do is if you go to Starbucks, give this card to the cashier and say, put the person behind me, put their coffee on my tab and give them this card. It's just a card of kindness. Does everybody understand that? When you go to a restaurant, bring these with you. When you pay your bill and tip generously. If you don't tip generously, keep the card in your pocket. Huh? Okay. But if you tip generously, at least what, 18, 20% minimum? If you do that, leave this card on your receipt. I'm just... Just something extra to show you kindness. Jesus loves you. If you're in the drive-thru at McDonald's, give this to the cashier. Let me pay for the people's meal behind me. 
and give them this card. We had Sister Murphy and I attended a conference in uh, Birmingham this summer, and uh, they were promoting this heavy. This church has a constituency of 29,000 people. They're promoting this heavily, and in Birmingham, they one person from their church gave this card to the cashier at a drive-through restaurant. I think it was Taco Bell. Paid for the people behind them. That happened 16 times in a row before it stopped. So kindness is very contagious. And if there's, we're, we're a church of hope, healing, and restoration is our tagline. But we want to start being a church of kindness. We want to be kind to people. We want to be kind when they walk in the door. And we want to be kind when we meet them in public. Those of you that are marketing our church, having our logo on the back window of your car, thank you so very much. But a number of people have said, it's changed the way I drive. I can't cut people off anymore, and I can't let them have it anymore because that name of the church is on my car now. Uh, but it's all good. But if you'll help us with this, and a number of you have expressed interest in this, so we now have cards of kindness, and you can pick those up after church. Just, just grab you a, a little stack of them and keep them in your purse, your shirt pocket, and everywhere you go, just spread kindness. Just be kind to everyone you, you can, you, you meet. Be, be kind. So remember that. Today we have a very special presentation. I want Sister Vernell to come and... Um, there's a number of people, we've already heard from some of them, that have experienced tremendous miracles since we've launched Dream Big, Go Big. Uh, Brother Steve Elsenrath testified here a while back, uh, just a few Sundays ago, God doing amazing things in their life and for him and his family and purchasing a house and so on. We have another Go Big testimony. Welcome Sister Vernell as she comes. Listen. Thank you. In July, I went for a checkup for six months after treatment, and the technician who took the x-rays said, I need to take these to the radiologist. I'll be back in a few minutes. So when she came back, she said, I need to take a few more x-rays. He wants some different views and better pictures. So she took those x-rays to the radiologist. A few minutes later, she came back and she said, you have a nodule, and he wants more x-rays done. He needs clearer views to decide how to proceed with this. When she came back in the room, this was her third time, she said, the radiologist is calling your doctor. He wants to see if the doctor can consult with you today about this nodule. Well, at this point, I was concerned because, you see, I'd been through it before. Three years ago, I had breast cancer surgery, and I was just completing seven months of treatment because of complications from the surgery three years ago. I knew what they were thinking. I'd been through it before. So sh I waited a few more minutes, and then she came back and said, your doctor is in surgery right now and can't see you or talk to you about this nodule but he wants you to have an ultrasound done. We can't do it right now. You'll have to come back later. I sent a text message to my family members and to Brother and Sister Murphy, and they all said they would pray. I went back for the ultrasound, and then I had to wait several days. On Sunday, Brother Murphy preached the message about the lady who was bent over 18 years and could not stand up straight. At the conclusion of that message, he had everyone come through a prayer line, and I came through the prayer line, and I think Brother Jason can attest to the fact, as well as Sister Sheila, that I was abundantly blessed that day. Then on Tuesday, I got the report, there is no malignancy. I thank God for healing.
He has been with me many years. He's never let me down. He has supported me. He's kept me. He's healed me. He's prospered me when I needed prospering. I thank God for his miraculous power. Thank the Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Thank the Lord. Sister Burnell, that was incredible. What a testimony. So very well done. And I'm thankful for the miraculous healing power of God. A lot of people discount it, don't believe it, but I do. And here's a testimony as to what God can do. And uh, so if you're here today with a physical condition, God can heal you. Yes, he can. If you're here with financial burden, God can help you. He said, come unto me, all you that labor and are heavy laden, and I'll give you rest. Cast all your cares on me because I care for you. And uh, I feel the Spirit of the Lord here this morning. Let's pray one more time before we go to the Word of God. Jesus, we love you, and we are thankful today. Such an incredible testimony, and I'm so thankful for the outcome. My God, I'm thankful for the outcome. Thank you so much. Pray, God, that you would have your way. Let the hand of God be made manifest here today. We ask it in Jesus' name. Jesus' name. Thank you, Sister Vernell. What a testimony. One that we will not forget. In Acts chapter 1, beginning with verse 12. Then returned they unto Jerusalem from the mount called Olivet, which is from Jerusalem a Sabbath day's journey. Would you say a Sabbath day's journey? And when they were come in, they went up into an upper room where abode both Peter and James and John and Andrew, Philip, Thomas, Bartholomew, Matthew, James the son of Alphaeus, Simon Zelotes, and Judas the brother of James. All these continued with one accord in prayer and supplication with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and with his brethren. I want to accentuate verse 12. They returned unto Jerusalem from the Mount of Olives, which is from Jerusalem, a Sabbath day's journey. I want to preach to you today, actually, our theme uh, that we launched the Sunday after Labor Day. I just simply want to title this, Going Big. Going Big. We've had the dreams. Now it's time to go. Everybody say amen. Thank the Lord. Everybody say thank God for the word. Thank you for standing, and you may be seated. Author Robert Curson wrote, At three years old, Mike Hayes was accidentally blinded by a chemical explosion when he and his four-year-old sister were playing in the garage. He lived his entire life until he was well into his 40s before having his eyesight restored by a pioneering ophthalmologist. But despite the fact that he was blinded at a young age, It seemed that his whole life was spent overcoming the obstacles that were presented by his blindness. He learned how to ride a bike, how to skate on a skateboard, how to play soccer. He became an engineer, he got married, and he had a family. He was so adept at walking by using an incredible sense of hearing that worked with echoes, and how his brain interpreted those echoes. As a matter of fact, most people were not even aware of his blindness until they were close enough to him to see his eyes. Curson tells the story in his book. The book came about when Mike began to describe his childhood and that when he would play on the playground and pick up games of football with his neighborhood buddies and that he was always having to work through some obstacle or hindrance 
that prevented him from doing what he wanted to do. So it was with many scrapes and bruises, aches and pains that Mike accomplished what he did with his life. But even then, after he had the corrective surgery, huge discouraging obstacles had to be endured. It was almost as if Mike's brain did not know how to figure out spatial or peripheral visual fields that he had to navigate through. But he continued on with his efforts at working through and doing what needed to be done. If there's any spiritual inclination about you at all who are in attendance in this service today, we have to understand that involvement in spiritual revivals is going to tax everything about us. We are in a battle. Yes, we are. And we will, that will throw every single distraction and danger it can towards us to hinder the church and its individuals who make up that church. James Allen said, You will become as small as your controlling desire or as great as your dominant aspiration. Another man said, Great works are performed, not by strength, but by perseverance. He that shall walk with vigor three hours a day will pass in seven years a space equal to the circumference of the globe. One man said the virtue lies in the struggle, not in the prize. I quote someone else who said, No road is too long to the man who advances deliberately and without undue haste. And no honors are too distant for the man who prepares himself for them with patience. Someone said every noble work, every noble work is at first impossible. Burke said never despair, but if you do, work on in despair. Throughout the scripture, there are exhortations and challenges brought to us that urge us, as Brother Jason said earlier, to completely go big beyond every obstacle and hindrance that would come into our path. In Luke chapter 9, verse 23, Jesus said, If any man will come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. For whosoever will save his life shall lose it. But whosoever will lose his life for my sake, the same shall find it. For what is a man advantaged if he gain the whole world and lose himself or be a castaway? The writer of Hebrews said in chapter 11, By faith Moses, when he was come to years, refused to become the, be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to suffer affliction with the people of God than to enjoy the pleasure of sin for a season, esteeming the reproach of Christ greater than the treasures in Egypt, for he had respect under the recompense of the reward. By faith he forsook Egypt, and fearing, not fearing the wrath of the king, for he endured as seeing him who is invisible. Daniel said uh, he purposed in his heart that he would not defile himself with a portion of the king's meat, nor with the wine which he drank. Therefore he requested of the prince of the eunuchs that he might not defile himself. People that are willing to go big, no matter what the cost, no matter what the consequence, they've got a vision of God in their mind. They understand that He's great, He's huge, that He has their destiny in His hand. And I encourage all of you today to make plans from this moment on when we pursue our relationship with God and those parts, those parts of our lives that are in the will of God, that we're going to go big. We're not going to settle for less. We're not going to settle for half. We're not going to settle for three quarters. But we're going to go all the way into what God wants us to do and who God wants us to become. I still cannot keep the statement Marcus made out of my head a couple of Sundays ago when he said that God has a plan. It's brilliant, and I'm in it. God has a plan. It's brilliant, and I'm in it.
Praise the Lord. Say that with me. God has a plan. It's brilliant. And I'm in it. If you believe that, clap your hands one more time. Hallelujah to God. I want to skip down a little bit further and say this to you. In reference to our scripture reading, the Bible said that the disciples left the Mount of Olives and went to the upper room uh, to experience what happened in Acts chapter 2. They, the Bible quoted, Luke quoted, and I think it's interesting, that they went a Sabbath day's journey. It's interesting today, and I want all of you to understand, everybody sitting in this room, never underestimate how far you can travel in a day. When you're in pursuit of God doing something in your life, you are dreaming big, and now you're planning to go big. Never underestimate at what God can do in a day. Don't estimate how, underestimate how far you can travel in a day. What they understood, I don't know how many times they made a Sabbath day's journey to somewhere. And I'm going to explain that in just a moment. It's not very far. But I don't know how many times in their life that these 120 people made that journey on that particular day. It was the best Sabbath day's journey they ever experienced in their entire life. I don't know where they went and who they visited on prior Sabbath day's journeys. I don't know who they visited. I don't know what they could buy. They they couldn't work. It was very restricted. But I can promise you that these people now at their age had traveled somewhere on the Sabbath day and could only go that distance. But on that day, they was rewarded by something that they had never experienced before, and it was the outpouring of the Holy Ghost. That happened 2,000 years ago, and is still running rampant all around our world today. Don't underestimate how far you can travel in a day and how you can be endued with power in one single day, in one single moment. I don't want this today to be an average message. I want this today to be a landmark message. I want it to be a message that helps us turn a corner. There's people here today that have done this Pentecostal thing for years. You've come to church Sunday in and Sunday out. Wednesday night in, Wednesday night out. Prayer meeting in, prayer meeting out. We've done the same thing. It seems sometimes to be a very repetitive lifestyle. And to some people, it seems there's very little reward in it. I'm glad Grace Church don't operate that way. But uh, I'm here to tell you today, it doesn't matter how long you've been around this and how long you follow Jesus. There's a distance you can travel in one day. And it's not very far. But at the end of that journey, there's something waiting for you on the other end end of it. So don't underestimate, don't underestimate the travel of one day and the power you can be endued with. For too often in life, both spiritually and materially, there's a tendency for people to underestimate what can happen in one single day. The journey that the disciples took that day was a little over a half a mile. Now there are limitations on the Sabbath. Moses said in Exodus 16 that eat that today for today is a Sabbath unto the Lord for today you shall not find it in the field. So if you didn't prepare yesterday for the Sabbath day's meal then you couldn't eat was the law and the parameter around the Sabbath day. But then in Numbers chapter 35, a confusing scripture, but I'll I'll give you understanding. And you shall measure from without the city on the east two side, uh, side 2,000 cubits, and on the south side 2,000 cubits, on the west side 2,000 cubits, on the north 2,000, and the city shall be in the midst. This shall be to them the suburbs of the city. What Numbers 20 or 35 is saying is that this passage defines the suburbs of the cities of the Levites as 200 cubits. This defined the distance that the people could travel, and it was a little more than a half a mile or about 3,600 feet. I want everyone to set up and take notice here today that God will never put your destiny at a distance greater than He will allow you to travel. 
We don't get it. It's still kind of sinking in with some of you folks. Isn't it interesting that that whole, all of Canaan's land, when it was settled, after Joshua took the children of Israel into it, in the book of Joshua, it was all settled. And cities was placed in a, a strategic way where people could travel from one city to another on the Sabbath day, if they needed to. I find it interesting, and I've been there. I've been to the Mount of Olives, and I've been to the upper room where they believe it was. It's interesting to me that God planned the place of their instruction to be within walking distance of a Sabbath day's journey to where they would be empowered. The Mount of Olives was a Sabbath day's journey from their upper room. So according to the book of Acts, when the disciples left Jesus, it was really a short walk physically, but its implications were immeasurable. Sadly enough, it is a distance that the majority of people never make. It is this half-mile journey to a God-tailored destiny that only a few people really choose to make. But this half-mile journey does so much to separate them from the general population of the world and of the church. It is often in this quest of going big that we forget the power that lies in one day. And if we're willing to just have it a daily commitment, a daily commitment with Jesus, just do this every day, you'll be amazed at what God can bring to pass in your life. Our purpose in life ought to be like the river that was born out of a little stream in the mountains. We can finally see what happens when the accumulation of the water starts to roar in great rivers like the Mississippi, the Ohio, and even the Amazon. If you were to watch them carefully, you could notice that the origin of those rivers, there are undercurrents that create small whirlpools. And it seems like the water is just going in a circle and it's changing its mind about flowing and becoming one mighty force. But once it starts on its pace, if a dam is built across that river, it can harness water that can create electricity to light up millions of homes and thousands of cities. If the tide attempts to wash it out, it still refuses. I read the other day that the Congo River, when it floods into the Atlantic Ocean, it leaves a trail of 500 miles out into the Atlantic Ocean because of its force and power. It didn't start that way. It didn't start that way. But it chose to go on a journey. It chose to take a path. And the end of it is destructive. It disrupts the climate. It disrupts the environment. It disrupts the ecosystem. I'm here to tell us today if we'll determine to go big, this church can do anything that God wills for it to do. We gotta go big. We gotta go big. You gotta think big. Walk big. Talk big. Grow big. Pray big. Believe big. Give big, go big. Let me just say quickly in passing, and I'm going to work real hard to preach this short, but I'm going to do my best. But uh, for those of you that may not know, this church started off with Pastor and Sister Murphy 21 years ago with eight adults, a total of 11 people in a very broken down building in the city of Baker. To the point that my own mother asked, why in the world do you want to go there and build a church? But even back then, I was a dreamer. I pulled up in the parking lot and I said, yeah, this is the way it is, but I refuse to see it that way. This is more of what I saw back then, 21 years ago. If we're determined and will commit ourselves to a daily walk in God so that every day is a Sabbath day's journey, it may be a short distance sometimes, but the power at the end of it is immeasurable. And I believe God has awesome things in store for this church. He's done great things, but He's not done. I believe even God is planning to go big at Grace Church.
So don't underestimate the small streams of purpose that are flowing in your life right now, but rather give yourself to the momentum of your calling and what the things that God wants to do in your life. Now there's, there's some paradoxes in this. There's, there's some, some things that you have to understand when you embark on this journey of going big. And this is a part of this message that I want everyone especially to hear. The journey always has... His contradictions. There's always going to be things that don't make sense. Why is God doing this? Why did God allow that? Why did God, you know, why God, why God, why God? I've heard that asked a couple of times in the past couple of weeks. The journey that the disciples, this hardy 120 started on, had its share of fears and even some discouragement as they understood as they saw with their two eyes, Jesus evaporated out of their midst. That's the first paradox and contradiction that you'll face in going big. Is all of a sudden, I've made this huge commitment. I've decided I'm going big. I'm going to do it. And God goes, Does anybody know what I'm talking about? Here's the way God goes. is when you're, you, you, you go to the doctor's office, Sister Vernell, and they walk into your examination room about three times, and the doctor wants to see you, and there, there's something going on on the inside. And all of a sudden, you've decided, I've heard this dream big business, and, and I made dreams, I made plans, and all of a sudden, and now where's God? It could be a surgery, Sister Bonnie, that you just seemingly can't recover from. I've made this commitment, and God is just out of the picture. I'm seeing Donna and Spencer back there, and I'm glad they're here. But I'm sure they've had their moments of all of a sudden, where's God in our life because of their circumstances? Listen to Pastor. Jesus gave them a commandment that was not based on what they could see. The commandment was based on what they would obey. He said, Go ye into Jerusalem and tarry there. As a matter of fact, I won't even be there when you arrive at your destiny. I'm not going to be there when you start it. And I'm not going to be there when you get there. This whole entire thing is going to be based on your faith in me and obedience to me. Hello? Is anybody still here? Am I working? Okay. <laughs> Jesus told them, go tarry you in Jerusalem, you've been doing five for all night. He told them that. But he wasn't real clear on right after I give you that commandment, I'm going to disappear. I'm not just going to leave and walk away. I'm going to float upward into the heaven completely out of sight. You won't even see me and really won't even understand where I'm at. Is that resonating with anybody? I've got some more news for you. When they got on the other end of this Sabbath day's journey, this walk of a little over 3,600 feet, a little over half a mile, when they got to Jerusalem, they didn't see him there either. They went on up to the upper room. He wasn't there either. As a matter of fact, he wasn't anywhere they went. But this hearty, faith-believing, obedient people and he said, do it. So let's go do it. You know what? I've discovered a long time ago, and some of you may be offended at this remark. And I'm not going to split hairs over it. But I think there's a real fine line between ignorance and faith. There's some levels of faith and arenas of faith that you almost just kind of have to be kind of stupid.
Because if you try to reason and come up with a logical explanation, there's not one. So you have to go and retreat to la-la land somewhere and say, I'm going to do it anyway. How do you obey this man that gives such a commandment and give, gives you a bunch of commandments? Go ye therefore in all the world and preach the gospel. I want repentance and baptism preached in my name. Da 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 da. And then says, Go to Jerusalem, tear you to be on uh, to you, I'm filled with power and do with power, and disappears, man. I'm belaboring the point, but I want you to get it. He didn't just walk off into the sunset, he disappeared. Gideon was willing to believe God at this level in the Old Testament. Took 300 men after watching it deplete from 32,000 into a mountainside with a pitcher and a lantern. Now, you kind of have to drift from the logical to the kind of ignorant, and I'm just going on blind faith here. Y'all understand me? Esther was willing to go big and was fearful, the Bible said. When she approached King Ahasuerus, uh, but it was an absolute necessity for her to do that if she was going to save her people. Abraham was willing to go big, and he left all that was dear to him and achieved God's plan to the point that the Jewish people are still in the forefront of our world today. Elijah was willing to go big and fought against the worst king that Israel ever had and ultimately prevailed. Listen to me. It doesn't matter where you think God is. It doesn't matter where you think God wants you to be. You just simply step out on faith and say, if God wants me there, that's where I'm going. If that's what God wants me to do, then that's what I'm going to do. If that's what God wants me to be, then that's what I'm going to be. It don't matter what you can reason or make logical. It's faith and taking God in His Word. The forward progress of going big will always have accompanying contradictions. The contradictions will always be there until there is a dying out to the things of lesser value. The disciples had to make that Sabbath day's journey to the upper room, but they made the trade. And will we be willing to trade good things for greater things? Will we be willing to trade the lesser things for the chief things? Will we be willing to trade worldly things for heaven? We may think that we know the value of noble spiritual things, revival, consecration, prayer, and growth, but until we finally experience them, it will only be at that point that the true worth of going big helps us to see. I dare say to you that those great seekers of the Bible were all uncertain until their go big was finally fulfilled. What about the man who sold all he had to get the pearl of great price? What about the man who sold all he had to purchase the field that had a hidden treasure? What about Matthew who left his tax tables to get in on what Jesus was calling for? What about uncertainties that were in the heart of Zacchaeus as he was climbing up that sycamore tree? What about contradictions? What about those that Paul struggled with when he knew he was going to Rome and was going to be facing Caesar who would ultimately behead him? I want to say to you today, I kind of know what it's like to have discouragement tugging at my heart when I'm trying to encourage others. I know what it's like to be filled with doubt while you're trying to patch up the deteriorated faith of others. I know what it's like to endure criticism that will drain the life out of every spiritual vision you've ever had. I know what it's like to have that desire ebbing out of your soul while you keep your game face on for one more round with the devil. I know what it's like to be disappointed with myself and even with others. I know what it's like to have high aspirations only to be stifled by the daily responsibilities of life. But I've determined one thing. If I'm going to preach, I'm going to preach big. If I'm going to live for God, I'm going to do it big. If I'm going to give to God, I'm going to give big. You understand what I'm saying. Folks, we've got to go big. Our world can't handle less of us. Our world's got to have more of us. That's why I want our church involved in the political arena. We've got to be involved, man. America's going south, and it's going south fast. And somebody's got to stand up and say, hey, 
This has got to stop. We used, there, there used to be a long line of religious men and women that would run for political office. But it seems like even that's getting more and more scarce. So there's really no religious perspective in Washington anymore. And that's why they're becoming less and less tolerant of our religious freedom. Another message for another time. All of these things will have to be fought against as we continue to rise to the high calling of God that's within us. The third thing about the journey. Number one is don't underestimate how far you can go in a day. Number two, it'll have a share of contradictions. Number three is that the journey has to be forged, will be forged by a continual moving forward. Got to move forward. The angel looked at the twelve and those 120 standing around gazing or the eleven standing around trying to figure out where Jesus went. And he broke their concentration by saying, Why are you standing here gazing in the sky? What are you doing? You don't, you're not going to build a monument here and stand here for the next week and cry over the last moment you had with Jesus before he evaporated out of your sight. I may be a little hardcore here, but Pentecostals have this, I want to build a monument everywhere I am with Jesus kind of mentality, and we want to stay there. Do you realize how awesome it was for Moses to dance around a burning bush? But eventually he had to leave and go to a preposterous place called Egypt. And even gone, he knew there were wanted posters hanging all over town because he killed a man. I'm still not real sure y'all are on board with me. But you have to keep moving forward. Oh, Brother Murphy, and I, and I, I hear this and I engage it oftentimes. And I don't demean it, I don't belittle it in any way, shape, or form. People get legitimately hurt. They do. I've hurt people. I've hurt people bad to the point they don't even live for God anymore. I'll admit that. I've done it. And I'm sorry I've done it. And I've tried to make it right with, with, with these folks. And some I have, some I haven't. You've been in ministry for over 30 years, things happen. And there's never any justification. But at some point, you get a hold of your commitment. You get a hold of an invisible God that you can't see anymore. And you follow His direction. And you end up in a place where you can't perceive Him of being there either. But you do it. You move forward. Why stand you here gazing? If we retreat to the Old Testament for a moment this morning, there's an incredible verse that sums up David's success with God. In 2 Samuel chapter 5, verse 10, the Bible said simply, and David went on. He didn't build a monument where he killed the lion. He didn't build a monument where he killed the lion uh, or the bear. He didn't, he didn't build a monument where he killed Goliath. He didn't build monuments where he conquered towns and cities. He kept moving. He went on and as a result of moving on of going forward the bible said that he grew great and the lord of hosts was with him you've got to keep moving forward no matter what happens jacob went on in god's purpose the priest that led the Ark of Covenant, they went out first. They crossed the Jordan first. They led the, the troop around the walls of Jericho. They went first. They went on. They kept moving. Elijah went on with Elijah and finally got his mantle. The dilemma of life often presents itself that we get stuck in a place when we ought to move on. Far too many want to camp out at their places of success and revival and spiritual renewal. By the same token, there's a lot of people who also end up stopping at their places of defeat and failure, and they never move forward into God's full and complete purpose for their life. So 
So much dies in us when we don't progress forward after our victories. You need to be moving on after the great prayer revival, after the time of fasting, after time of revival, after time that God uses you greatly. Keep moving. Keep moving. Keep going on to a greater level of growth. I've deliberated, and I don't want to steal anybody's thunder. And as we all know, forgiveness is easier than permission sometimes. But at the age of a very young and vibrant 57, I was born in 57, and I am 57, so I'm a true classic. I'm an antique, immeasurable. But uh, thank you for your laughter, because that's what I deserve with that statement. But uh, I took Brother Dr. Weiser, Brother Rick Weiser, up on his offer to become a life coach. I was so proud, man. Took the test. Uh, it's uh, actually the equivalent of a master's degree course. And I took the test, and I'll confess it was open book, but you still had to study the material. You had to read it. Be able to answer the questions on the test and what have you. I was so proud. I scored a 94, and I'm an official life coach. And I'm proud of myself. Thank you very much for your applause. Appreciate it. But then a couple of weeks later, Sister Christy texted me. Guess what? I've become a life coach, and I scored a 97. I'm like, whatever. You're young and... Yeah, clap for her. Go ahead. That's right. But then, Brother Merrill texted me a couple of days later. Guess what, Pastor? I'm a life coach. And that feller scored a 99 on that test, and I'm proud of that, buddy. The point is, is you got to keep moving forward. I'm determined as long as God has air in my lungs and a brain in my head, if you will, I want to keep moving forward. And we're going to build this church and we're going to impact our community for the kingdom of God. Praise God. You can call me a little bit of a radical if you want to, and perhaps I am. But, but I'm looking for opportunities to grow in my victories. And I'm determined to keep moving from my defeats. People say, if I just had an opportunity. You know what? Here at Grace Church, I've kind of reached a point where I'm even willing to hear people ask that question. If I just had an opportunity. Natalie, can I tell your story? I'm going to go ahead and do it anyway. It don't matter. Uh, Y'all remember Marcus preached here when was that, last Sunday or Sunday? Last Sunday. Preached about fear, how to overcome fear. She texted me Monday morning. She said, I'm overcoming my fear. She said, I want to be involved in church, and here's my gifting. Use me wherever you want is essentially what it said. I told her this morning if I could get a text once a week from people like that, I would lose my mind. I'd be on cloud nine. She didn't ask for a blessing. She asked for an opportunity. Did you hear me? And we run around all the time with a face as long as a Missouri mule. Why won't God bless me? Why won't God bless me? I want to be blessed. God, I need this blessing. God, I need this blessing. God, I need this blessing. Why don't you quit praying that and say, God, if you'll give me an opportunity to do something in the kingdom, let me do that. And then all these things will be added. You want to go big? Don't ask God to bless you big. Tell God, I'll work for you big. And I promise you, if you start working for Jesus, He's going to bless you big. Oh, yes, He will. He'll pour it out on you, man. Malachi said in a way that you won't even be able to take it all in. And most of us have experienced that here today. Praise the Lord. 
So ask for an opportunity. You can ask for an opportunity to prove who you are. You can ask for an opportunity to stay with it. You can ask for an opportunity to turn life around. God, give me an opportunity to improve my mind, an opportunity to form good habits, an opportunity to have sterling character, an opportunity to be useful, an opportunity to invest in your life and not waste it, an opportunity to make a plan for the future. Did you know where the word opportunity even comes from? It's got the word port in it. That might give you a clue. Op, port, tunity. <laughs> comes from a root word signifying at port or in the harbor. Listen, it's a suggestive statement. There is a tide in the affairs of men which taken at flood leads on to fortune, which taken at flood. One has to think of a traitor who is dealing in the market ready to turn every opportunity into an advance for himself. There are great opportunities that will present themselves only once or twice in a lifetime, and a man has to take advantage of those times and not look back. So opportunity is like a strip of sand that stretches up and down the beaches, and the greedy tide comes rushing in, and they're always working against the sand. Whether it is people, communities, nations, churches, no one can allow the tide to erode opportunity. But you use the tide to your advantage. You use the tide to your advantage. So, Sister Murphy and I, uh, y'all blessed us actually in our 19th pastoral anniversary. Took a trip to Ireland. And uh, we didn't know it, but we took off to, after we found out, uh, into the late planning stages of our trip. And uh, we wanted to go to Belfast and Northern Ireland and what have you and found out that they've just built a museum uh, commemorating the Titanic. It was built there, and they have an incredible museum. If you ever go to Ireland, do not leave until you go through that museum. But that ship was built on a dry dock. And before they could launch it, now they did have to push it into the water. It's a phenomenal thing. I don't know how they did it back then. They did have to push it in the water, but they did wait till the tide was the highest, obviously, for obvious reasons. And here's the way we think. We're, we're, we have a tendency to be, look at a glass half full, and it's half full, or half empty, not half full. Learn to use the flood of stuff into your life to your advantage. You can let it drown you, or you can ride it. You can let it pull you under, or you can tread water on top of it. I've done my best as pastor to learn that lesson. I have a little plaque in my office, and it says, plow through and carry on. Just keep moving forward. You've got to keep moving, got to keep moving, got to keep moving. I'm trying to hurry. But people look at the tide of explosion of negative things that happens in their life, Oh, my God, where are you? And God evaporated, and God's nowhere around, and I just don't understand. You wobbly on your feet, and you fall down, and you don't hardly even believe in God anymore. That's an oversimplification, but it gets a point across. Where my pastor staff will tell you, that Pastor Murphy says all the time, when we get some momentum going in this church, it's high tide, man. We get some momentum, we're going to ride that tide as far as we can, as long as we can. You know why you keep hearing the same thing from pastor over and over? It's because I'm riding a tide. I'm like a surfer, man. And there may be sharks under there, but usually if you stay on top, you'll be okay. Does everybody understand that? I want to preach to this church today. If we're going to go big, you've got to learn to ride the tide, man. You don't let bad things in your life cripple you. Jesus said, go till you be empowered. And until I'm empowered, I'm going to keep going. And then... And then finally today, journey, this journey always descends into greatness. And Jesus had a, a funny presentation of that, and I'll come to that in just a minute. But the Mount of Olives was the height of fellowship for the disciples. 
That was a great place for them. Man, Jesus was resurrected. And he told them, all power is given unto me in heaven and earth. Here's God, folks. God is up here, huge. Everybody come up here. Everybody come up here. Jesus said, don't forget what I told you a few days ago when I met with you. Don't end here. This isn't where it ends. This is where it starts. Your three and a half years of training culminates right here. Now it's up to you. I'm going to evaporate. I'm going to be raptured out of your sight. You're not going to see me anymore. And I want you to get off of this mountain of high. Colorado, Rocky Mountain. Not that in that way, but similar. Um, high. High on Jesus. Pastor, things couldn't be better in my life. Man, things are great in my life. Okay, after a while, Jesus is going to go, and you're going to be asked to embark on a journey. It's a short one, but it's hard because you have to come off of that mountain of where all of your dreams have just come true. I've seen God manifest in the flesh. He said, all power is given unto me in heaven and in earth. And behold, I am with you always. Bye-bye. I am with you always. Bye. Brother Troy told me the other day, and this is where it fits. You get as nervous as a cricket in the chicken yard. Chickens eat crickets. For those of you that are... Okay. Man, everything is awesome. I'm talking to somebody right now. Everything is awesome. Couldn't be better. We have reached our, what's the word? Our utopia in Jesus. We have finally arrived. Everything has come together. I've got a perfect family, perfect home, perfect church, perfect job, perfect car, perfect kids, perfect dog, perfect cat. Everything is perfect. And all of a sudden, just like that, Jesus goes, and everything falls apart. you still willing to embark on the journey after you just heard Jesus said I'm with you all the way and then disappear he didn't lie but you don't understand they did sometimes a journey requires you to descend from the mountain you have to climb again to get to that upper room All Jesus is doing is taking you from a place of contentment to discontentment. From happiness to being useful. So he can make you better. Sometimes there's always a descending that takes us to a place of sacrifice and commitment, desire and perseverance and consecration and selfishness and passion and determination. Far too often people make their journey to church and and only think of the gas and the money and the time that will be required of them. They lose sight of the spiritual possibilities that will come to their life as a result of it. Peter said in his epistle, and beside this, giving all diligence, giving all diligence, add to your faith virtue. To virtue, knowledge. And to knowledge, temperance. And to temperance, patience. And to patience, godliness. And to godliness, brotherly kindness. And to brotherly kindness, charity. And if these things be in you and abound, They make you that you shall be neither barren nor unfruitful in the knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. This is a necessary journey. And to be empowered, you have to go through that little short valley between the mountain and the upper room. So on this day, a man can travel from earth to heaven if you want to. You can go from wherever you are now to a place of empowerment. You can do that in one day. Do you know that? And one day, you can turn everything around in your head. The way you think, the way you process, the way you look at things, it can all change in one day. Right here, right now, it can. I'm out of time, and I'm not quite.
quite finished, but I'm going to go ahead and rush it to the end. At the crucifixion, I can imagine that the disciples who looked at him hanging there were troubled by the thoughts of how it had all been a waste. This man we had followed for three plus years is now dead. Did not look too successful to them. Sure didn't look miraculous. The man had been beaten to a bloody pulp. In fact, it appeared that everything was in shambles. But most dreams and visions that are God-given will find themselves in death throes before they can ever go big. The dream that you have for God may cost you your life as you know, as you now know it. But this is what God does to us. He takes us to the very edge of almost total collapse before we get to go big to the place where He wants us. Every dream has to pass the test of the cross. It will take you to the place where you've been willing, where you'll have to be willing to let go of everything and everyone. Every agenda and expectation, God strips it away from us. And we live again, but only when we put it in every bit of trust in Him. I'm going to ask you to stand with me this morning. As the musicians play softly, isn't it interesting to you? It is to me. That his disciples fled. Peter watched him die on the cross from a distance, but the rest of them fled, but they heard he died. They invested three and a half years of their life. They gave up their jobs to follow him. And now he's dead. But he resurrects, appears to him, scares him half to death, but he appears to him. And they think, it's all going to be okay. But that lasted about a month and a half. He was with them for 40 days and then disappeared. You talk about take your faith from here to here to here to here. But they trusted him anyway. And they went to the upper room and you all know what happened. In about 10 to 14 days of waiting, they some people say there was probably 700 or 800 that went originally and they all left down to 120 that stayed. But even Mary, the mother of Jesus, stayed. They believed him. After dying, resurrected, and then raptured out of their sight, they still believed him. Couldn't find him anywhere, but they believed him. They were filled with the baptism of the Holy Ghost that turned their world upside down. So if we're going to go big today, you have to make up your mind that it really doesn't matter where God is. What matters is what He said. If you'll do what He said, you'll be okay. If you'll obey what He said, you'll be okay. I read a story a number of years ago, and I've never forgotten it. The story is told of a young man by the name of Monty, who was the son of an itinerant horse trainer who would go from stable to stable, racetrack to racetrack, farm to farm, ranch to ranch, training horses. So, as an obvious result, the boy's high school career was continually interrupted. So when he was a senior, he was asked to write a paper about what he wanted to be and what he wanted to do when he grew up. He went home that night and wrote a seven-page paper describing the goal of someday owning a horse ranch he wrote about his dream in great detail and even drew a diagram of a 200-acre ranch showing the location of all the buildings, the stables, and track, and house. And he even detailed a floor plan for his house. It would have 4,000 square feet and it would set on a 200-acre dream ranch. He put a great deal of his heart into the project and the next day when he handed it in to his teacher, two days later after that, he got his paper back, and on the front page of his paper was a large red F with a note that read, See me after class. The boy with a dream went to see the teacher after class and asked, Why did I receive an F? The teacher said, Because this is an unrealistic dream for a young boy like you. You have no money. You come from an itinerant family. You have no resources. Owning a horse ranch requires a lot of money and you have to buy land and gave him this long list of reasons why this can't happen. 
You have to pay for the original breeding stock, and later you'll have to pay for large stud fees, and there's no way that you could ever do that. And she handed the paper back to him and said, if you'll rewrite this paper with a more realistic goal, I will reconsider your grade. Monty went home that night and thought about it long and hard, and he asked his father, what you... I want to preach to somebody today in conclusion of this service. There's people here today that had great dreams for future in church and future in leadership and desires and hopes. And, and it seems like in just a moment, in a single day, it just evaporates and it's gone and it's over. And where do I go now and what do I do? I'll tell you what you do. You still trust what he said. I'll never leave you. And I'll never forsake you. You won't always be able to see me. But I'll be with you. Even to the end of the world. Does anybody want to go big? You think it's over. You think there's no use. There's no hope. We have young people here today that gave up on life's dream. And they fell to places of torment and anxiety. They walked into grace. I remember one of them specifically when God baptized her with the Holy Ghost. She lit up like the proverbial Christmas tree, and she's never been the same since. I'm here to tell you today that God is real, and He don't play with people, but He takes you on a journey. And at the end of that journey is a destiny. And if you're willing to follow Him, even when you can't see Him, God has a plan. It's brilliant. And I'm still in it. I'm still in it. While they're singing and playing softly, I'm going to ask everybody to gather up around the front. As is our custom, we don't embarrass anybody. We don't put anybody on the spot. But I just want you to come for a moment, and I want you to pray about what you've just heard. You want to go big? Have you had a failure in your life? Have you had a tragedy in your life? Have you had heartbreak in your life? People have let you down. People have failed you. People have betrayed you. People have turned their back on you. If any of those things happen, you even feel like God has come up short recently. You feel like, what's the use? What's the use? I want to tell you today, if you'll commit to go big, if you'll commit to go big and do what God said, just do what He said, obey what He said, His hand is still on you. His hand is still on you. He's still with you. And He will never leave you. And He will never forsake you. Everybody come with your heart full of faith. Come with your heart full of faith. We got to go big.